This is episode 95 of the Rising Man Podcast with Taylor Johnson. Ain't nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. Welcome back, Rising Man fam. I am Jetty Azuma, your host, back on the map, back in action after another amazing venture into the desert. We had four more men return from their vision quest, ripe with stories and medicine to bring back to their people. Such an amazing time out there with an amazing crew. It's incredible what eight days in the desert does to me. No technology, no artificial lighting or honking horns, minimal distractions. I came back and actually have been more tired the past three days than I've been in a while. I've been asking myself, why? Why would I be more tired after spending a whole week in the desert on desert time? You're gonna have to stay tuned for more because I'm gonna talk about that in next week's Monday morning meditation. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, it's time, fellas. If you haven't stepped into the fire yet and joined our online network of heart centered men, then what are you waiting for? Really? I mean, I know, I know it's hard to trust men you don't know. Hard to imagine sharing some of your most vulnerable challenges and traumas with other people across the world. I've been there and I'm telling you right now that if you don't step forward and face your fears head on, they will continue to torment you and run your life for you. It's true. Unfaced fear becomes doubt and doubt kills the warrior. Period. So listen, it's only $33 a month to be a member of the Rising Man Fire Circle. If you jump in now, you can lock it in at that price for life before the prices go up on November 15th. So if you were on the fence, if you've been wanting to be a part of this and you've just been putting it off, putting it off, now's the time to act. All right, fellas, my guest for today is none other than the Taylor Johnson. He is a sex educator and relationship coach who helps people supercharge their sex lives and build powerful, intimate relationships. Like most young men, Taylor battled with sexual insecurities and traumas, including premature ejaculation. He became fascinated with spirituality, but struggled to find a spiritual path that provided direction for deepening one's sexuality. Eventually, he found Tantra and Taoist sexuality and sexual teachings. And by blending Eastern philosophy and Western practicality, he's created a method that worked for him and for many of his clients. With coaching and trainings, including his five-week online course, Orgasmic Mastery, Taylor teaches men how to live more empowered and fulfilling lives by first taking charge of their sex lives. In this episode, we spoke about bringing attention and awareness to our sex lives, the difference between reacting to our impulses and directing them with intention and purpose. What is possible when sex becomes more than just a mission to ejaculate? It's a big one. Sexual shaming that occurs at a young age and affects us as adults, unless we face off with it. Taylor shared a story about bringing his penis to show and tell. <laughs> you gotta tune in and hear that one, but an amazing story, an amazing share. The importance of creating a new context for children to ask about and discover their sexuality, creating safe spaces and conversations for young people to learn about sex, other than just from older kids or from pornography. This is a huge topic. I know we've spoken about it here on the podcast before. Leading a life where you are sexually fulfilled by starting with clearly communicating your sexual wants and desires, which doesn't always mean they will be met with a yes. So last but not least, facing off with rejection in order to level up everywhere in our lives. Without further ado, Taylor Johnson. Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me here on the podcast today, coming in live from Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Taylor Johnson. How you doing, brother? Mm, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here with you. And hello to everyone out there listening, too. Yeah, man. I'm excited for this conversation because the topic of sexuality, especially two guys talking about sexuality, is unfortunately taboo and and unusual in this day and age for two guys to be talking about something like this. I know for me, Mm -hmm. there's a level of discomfort even chatting about it. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad to have you on here today. Would it be appropriate to call you a sexpert? Maybe I'm committed to being a sexpert, which means I might not ever consider myself a sexpert, but um, I'm always going to keep learning about this. It's fascinating to me. (laughs) All right, cool, man. Well, let's do this. I want to ask you the question I ask everybody who comes on the show, and then we'll we'll let that lead into our dialogue here. So what is for you the difference between a boy and a man? All right. So I'm going to speak to this in the context of sexuality, because that's that's why we're here right now. To me, a boy is, is somebody who goes after the, the instant gratification kind of stuff. That could be porn. That could be just mindless sex. That could be whatever feels good in the moment without much intentionality around why they might be doing that or the greater impact that those sorts of things have on their life and the people they're close to. And a man is somebody, in my opinion, who will 
who will take a step back and who's willing to step into discomfort if necessary to evaluate what he's doing and how he's acting in the world. And maybe that looks like not going after the instant gratification. Maybe that looks like doing a little work and then, and then going into pleasure from that space of intention. So a man would bring intentionality into his actions in a way that's mixed with discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And within that, I hear something that you hear is kind of cliche that, you know, a guy who thinks with his big head instead of his little head, <laughs> you know, in, in a non-joking fashion, a man who doesn't let his dick lead the way, you know, those impulses, those base desires that our body has right. on a very biological level. So the important thing about that, I think for me, at least has been acknowledging that I have those base level desires that that mm-hmm. reptilian part of me, that impulsive part of me has strong sexual urges and that that's not a bad thing. Absolutely. And I don't want to come across as sounding like the man doesn't do those things. Like I'm all about quickies. I'm all about like the, like having a cookie, you know, having that instant gratification (laughs) fix, (laughs) you know, it feels good. I'm just a fan of doing that with intention and not doing that on autopilot, you know, because if that's the only thing you do, then you're missing out on a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So what's the difference between, reacting to our impulses and Mm -hmm. directing our impulses with intention and purpose. Hmm. What's the difference between reacting to our impulses and directing them with intention and purpose? So I'm going to go ahead and dive right into some, some of the juicy stuff, I guess you could say. So let's talk about ejaculation, right? For everybody who has a penis, this is something that happens a lot in their life. And they think about it as a guy if I go into sex and if I'm on autopilot and I'm just going towards that goal of ejaculation, then there's a lot of stuff I might miss along the way. When I think about some of the most meaningful and beautiful and pleasurable sexual experiences of my life, almost all of them happened after I made a conscious decision in lovemaking to take a step back from ejaculation and and not go there, but instead focus on, on prolonging that pleasure or deepening the connection I have with this person. And mm. so you know, as opposed to just going for that quick instant gratification, seven second, you know, spurt of pleasure. It's like, Hey, wait a minute. I would actually like to make love with you for much longer than that and explore what we can get into when that's not the paradigm we're working with. Yeah, man. I I totally agree. In my heart of hearts, I would love to have that experience more often with my partner. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's, it's an important conversation for men and women to be in. Obviously we're just speaking to the the man's side of this, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's also for women. I know so much of our influences around sexuality and our beliefs about sexuality have come from pornography and mm-hmm. what we witness there. And, and there's a very specific type of sexuality that is expressed <laughs> in those images and the the swarming of images that we mm-hmm. expose ourselves to at a young age. I mean, obviously, that's we know that that's having a huge impact on our sexual belief system. Yeah, absolutely. Had a huge impact on mine. Definitely. I haven't watched porn in a long time because I never really figured out a way to integrate porn into my life in a healthy way. I went through a period of being addicted to it and it definitely Mm -hmm. impacted my romantic relationships and how I viewed women. I tried using it or using it. (laughs) I tried watching (laughs) porn, you know, sparingly here and there. And I found that even after like one session of it, it, it made me feel weird and not that great, even just for the rest of the day. So I decided real life sex is much better than that. And that's how I choose to operate. I'm not anti-porn. I just never figured out a way to do it well for myself. And I encourage most people who use it on autopilot to take a step back. Yes. Well, that seems to be the underlying message so far, even in just the beginnings of this conversation is bringing a level of awareness and consciousness to our choices around our sexuality. And and again, I'm in the same boat as you. I think that compulsive, excessive, repetitive exposure to pornography, especially at a young age, is not healthy. And especially if that is the primary educator right. for sex right. at a young age. Mm-hmm. And we've talked we've talked about that here on the podcast before. I think there's a lot of uniformity in the belief that, you know, it's it's really not healthy for young kids to be watching pornographic images and also not to have any uh, outsider adult references to give context to that. Right. You know, it's like, it's like the blind leading the blind out there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My sex yeah. ed in high school was don't have sex. Basically uh-huh. that was about it really. <laughs> it, well, and that, and contrasted with, look how awesome this looks when you go watch porn. It's like right? someone saying, don't do this. And, and then these images saying, this looks awesome. This looks like something <laughs> that I, I want more of. Yeah. And then, you know, that kind of being the, the pursuit or the objective that mm-hmm. we inherit. 
Mm-hmm. So let, let's actually take a half a step back. Yeah, there, it. It's such a big feel that we could talk about here. But what I think is affecting most of us is the shame mm. that surrounds our sexuality. I know you have a lot to say about this. So I'm just going to open the floodgates and you say what you have to say about it. <laughs> let's have a little dialogue. Mm. All right. <laughs> Sexual shame. Man, what a rabbit hole this is. So I guess, yeah, I'd like to share a little story, a quick story about an experience I had with sexual shame that I only realized maybe a year ago, I realized, or actually earlier this year, I realized just how deeply it had impacted me my entire life. Mm-hmm. So this happened to me in kindergarten. It was regular school day and one of the things we did every week in my kindergarten class was we did show and tell. And I would bring in like matchbox cars and I'd bring in basketball and, you know, kids would bring in whatever they were into. And this one day I thought, you know, I really like my penis. (laughs) I'm this little five-year-old, like that's some fascinating, like that is fascinating to me. You know, there's this thing, I pee out of it. Like it's, nobody talks about it. Like what, you know, what's up with that? And so Mm -hmm. we went around the circle and People, you know, shared their toys and their their little books and stuff. And when it got to be my turn, <laughs> I just stood up and I pulled down my pants and I said, I brought my penis. <laughs> no joke. And all the kids loved it. They were laughing and smiling. But my teacher, like, man, my horrified. teacher was just like, Taylor, what are you doing? Pull up your pants right now. That is bad. That is bad. That stop. Oh, man. You know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what I didn't realize was that ingrained in me in that moment, like, severe shame around my penis and around Mm. being witnessed by by other people Mm. it's like your penis is bad you being naked is bad you being authentic with other people is bad and Mm. so that impacted me in a lot of my sexual relationships and romantic relationships and it just it hit me earlier this year in a workshop setting like holy shit Mm. this has been something I've been carrying with me in various forms and various ways that inhibited my ability to maintain erections sometimes and just share intimacy with people. I'm not saying it was like the only thing impacting me, but it was pretty major, you know, and that kind of stuff happens to kids all the time. All the time, man. Like I remember kissing somebody in first grade underneath the table and getting shamed for that from my instructor. I've heard friends, heard stories from all my friends of like, they were touching themselves in a way that felt good and they didn't know any better. And then they were like, their parents said, don't do that. That's bad. You're bad. You know, time out, like all mm. this stuff. Well, so, let's let, let's yeah. pause there for a second. Cause first of all, I appreciate the vulnerability in your share. I know that's part of your leadership and part of your medicine is that you're, you're one of those guys who's not afraid to, to lead with that and say, Hey, I'll go first guys. It's okay. Let me talk about, you know, the shame I had around my penis when I was five years old. That, mm. That's, that's beautiful that you're doing that. And I just want a, an invitation mm-hmm. for anybody who's listening to, to think about, any of those traumatic experiences that may have happened when you were a kid that now you look back on it, you're like, oh, that was just kid stuff. You know, yeah, I pulled down my pants and my teacher said, put your penis away. But to really appreciate how how impactful that is, because at that age, at five years old, that moment is may have been one of the most monumental moments that you had in your life. And mm-hmm. then that sets the trajectory. It's like taking a left turn at a crossroads and mm-hmm. then you just keep walking down that path unless redirected or given a different narrative to replace, hey, you can't pull your pants down, you can't show anyone your penis, it's shameful, that part of your body is shameful, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's just good for us all to, re- to even take a moment to reflect on that, knowing that it can be a big process. It, it's, that's, that's like a traumatic experience mm-hmm. in, in a lot of respects. And also the reaction from your teacher. I think about the teacher because I'm at an age now where I've got my own kids and those teachers are my contemporaries. They're, mm. they're like my peers. I, I go out and I see them in public. I'm like, oh, we're the same age now. It's not, I don't hold them in a teacher light anymore. Mm-hmm. So I know that they're just adults doing their best. And the conditioning that we have as adults is that we, we should not talk about sex with our kids. The right. more that we talk about it, the more interested they're going to be. And then they're going to have sex all the time. And then they're going to have, we're going to have more teenage teenagers getting pregnant, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It's this narrative that unfolds. So I'd like to hear your perspective on this in a healthier way that we can be in relationship and conversation about sex with our kids. Yeah. Well, I appreciate a lot of what you have to say about this. I've listened to a few of, of your different episodes around sex and you do mention the importance of talking with kids around about this. And I just want to encourage people to talk about it and to you know, to acknowledge that it might be messy. You might not say the perfect thing. You know, you might not know exactly what to say, but I would think that the simple act of opening up the conversation and being authentic and being vulnerable with your kids, like would do more than than not talking about it, Mm -hmm. not talking about it sort of 
puts it in this shameful category or it puts this puts it in the no-go category and then if kids what are they they're going to do they're going to go to porn they might go to the internet and that's how they're going to learn about sexuality so just being willing to step into the discomfort of having that conversation is an awesome awesome first step mm-hmm. and then connecting with other people who are willing to have that conversation too. I'm sure there are all sorts of online groups and possibly articles about this. I don't personally have children, so I just want to be upfront about that and clear, but I am a huge fan of this conversation. And I never really got this conversation from my parents either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me neither. I I still haven't had a conversation about sex with my parents. I always joke and say, as far as I know, my parents only had sex twice and that was to have me and my brother. (laughs) (laughs) We're all adults now and, and they still don't talk about it with us which is you know i think it's a generational thing too and that's the opportunity i see is mm-hmm. if we if those of us who are parents out there with young children especially we have an opportunity an opportunity to to rewrite the way that we speak about sex with our kids mm-hmm. you know my 4 year old he was just talking the other day randomly he came up to us and he said so when a mommy and a daddy want to make a baby the daddy takes his penis and puts it on the mommy's vagina mm-hmm. and i was like oh that's cool. I didn't know that you knew that yet. And <laughs> he had had a conversation with my wife. It's been an evolving conversation. Mm-hmm. The classic question, how are babies, where do babies come from, right? He asked that maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. And as we start explaining it to him, we'll get to a certain point and then he loses interest. It's like, okay, we'll pick that up next time. Mm-hmm. And the next time he comes around, he wants to know a little bit more. And then he loses interest and comes back to it. So and for anybody listening, maybe for you, you know, for future reference, if you choose to have kids, you know, just, just being willing to have that evolving conversation and meeting them where they're at with their curiosity. Absolutely. You don't have to go straight. You don't have to go from zero to a hundred and say, all right. So when, you know, when daddy's putting his penis inside of mommy's vagina and he's moving it back and forth, they're not interested <laughs> in that. They, don't, they, don't, they can't comprehend that at four years old. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's been my experience so far. Yeah. And I think comfort talking about genitalia in general, you know, a lot of my best friends have kids and I went camping a few months ago with some of them. I noticed one of my buddies, he was he was peeing in a bush and his kid and another little kid, I think they're like three and four, were walking by and they saw him and they saw his penis and he noticed them seeing his penis and then he engaged with them about it. He said, oh, you see this? This is, this is my penis and I'm peeing out of it. And you probably don't want to step in where I'm peeing right now, but it's something that all the guys have and it's natural to talk about and it's okay to be curious about it. And the kids were like, cool. And then they kept going on their way. But in any other, you know, he could have approached that a different way, which is like turning away or trying to hide it or saying, I'm sorry or anything like that. But the simple fact of him acknowledging that and meeting their curiosity, like that meant a lot to me just to witness that in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think it really impacted the kids probably too, because they were like, oh, it's okay, cool. Now I'm going to go pick up that stick and throw it at the tree. (laughs) Right. Exactly, man. And that's, that's the thing is kids are so pure and innocent in their intention. They just, they just have a curiosity for knowledge. Mm -hmm. And when you feed that curiosity and and give them enough, then that's enough. They reach a point where it's, it's enough. Mm -hmm. I I think there's an underlying belief that the more we feed that curiosity, the more they'll want to know, and then they will get themselves in trouble, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's just not the reality of, of kids, especially really little kids. You know, the conversation changes over time when we start to talk about teenagers, and I'm not there yet, and I know you're not there, so I don't know if we have much to say about it, but the point, the point that I make is that we have an opportunity to shift the culture here, mm-hmm. and that's, that's to me one of the most important roles in being a father and just being an adult who interacts with, with all types of kids. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to put this in there. <laughs> if any of you are listening, well, actually all of you are in some form of leadership position in your life. If you're listening to this, because there are people who you're close to and there are people who look up to you and just want to encourage you to talk about sex in whatever context feels safe and good for you to do it. Because the more we do that, the more we can shift paradigms around how society views it. And we can bring it into this more healthy, honored place versus this shameful like thing that gets tucked under the rug, but yet society sells us shit with it all the time. You know, Those sneaky bastards, they do that. <laughs> man. They, they say, don't talk about sex, but here it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like every the forbidden day. fruit, man. Every yeah. day, everywhere, everywhere, mm-hmm. man. And so let's, let's actually use that as a pivot point because we right. talked about younger kids and the opportunity we have moving forward. But mm-hmm. there's so many of us adults and the guys who are listening who we, we all carry different levels of shame around our sexuality. So mm-hmm. how can we break free from that at this stage of our lives in our 20s, 30s, 40s, even beyond? Wherever we are in life, shame is something that we will need to repeatedly break free from over the course of our life. You know, there's all this stuff that can come up. One of the best ways I've found is 
just to talk about it. Find a mentor, find a brother, find a friend, or maybe your therapist. Like if something comes up, like lean into the discomfort of talking about it and say, hey, there's this thing I felt uncomfortable with, or I have this desire, or, you know, I want to explore this thing. And if you don't want to do that, then maybe a first step could be just getting on the internet and looking up different support groups. There's all sorts of stuff online. Some of it is sketchy for sure. And there are other people out there who feel shame around their sexuality too, who are looking for connection and who are looking for answers. And the simple act of an experience of just seeing that this is a shared experience that other humans go through can do a lot to lessen the acts of shame. And that might open up the door for you to be able to talk about it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But talking about it is, is huge. Definitely. Because when we don't talk about it, it just embeds that further into our body and we're sending our body more messages that that's bad and that part of us is bad. And that might not ever come up in our thoughts again, but it does live in our body and it can show up in all sorts of different ways. Mm, Absolutely, man. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time in different circles and in different rooms with with guys. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that comes up frequently is long suppressed stories of being sexually abused mm-hmm. as a child mm-hmm. or sexually shamed in, in all different kinds of ways, you know, but just general thematics, mm-hmm. questioning sexuality and not having the safety to really explore and be curious with one's sexuality, especially as a man, all mm-hmm. of the, um, you know, homosexual shaming that right. has been a big part of our generation and the discomfort around that conversation still, mm-hmm. even though we've got like, you know, guys who are homosexual running for president now, it's still something that is not, widely accepted. Mm -hmm. So I think like what you said, creating a space or finding a space or a container where you can really express those things Mm -hmm. around one's sexuality that haven't, maybe it's even the type of sex that you like. Mm -hmm. That's another thing, man. It's really edgy, you know, to, to admit to oneself and to another human, whether it's your partner or just a guy that you trust is really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. And I can almost guarantee you that the people you're considering talking to about this stuff, they want to talk about it too. And it's really uncomfortable for them. So whoever can be the bridge that creates that connection, like that's, you're going to probably going to open up a lot of really good stuff. You know, if you trust this person, Mm -hmm. Um, most people I find are really excited to talk about this stuff. And there's this yearning to talk about it as if there's, there's like, they're dehydrated in a desert, you know, (laughs) Uh (laughs) you know, so yeah, talk about it. And Yeah, the types of sex you want to have, things you might want to explore, different fantasies that you want to explore. I'm all about all about that. Yeah. There's this book called Tell Me What You Want and it's this researcher who looked at different fantasies uh, different types of fantasies across people in America. And I think he got thousands of different case studies and looked at everything from threesomes and group play to role playing to bondage to impact play, which is exploring pain and that sort of thing in, vari- in a variety of ways. And, you know, one of the most impactful things for me about reading this book was that, okay, actually like 95% of people actively sexually fantasize about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and you know, it's one thing to know that that's true, but it's another thing to see that in a statistic, right? Mm-hmm. He talks about the impact of acting out these fantasies with your long-term partner and how for the most part, by and large, like if you do act out some sort of fantasy with your long-term intimate partner, and if you do so in a really good way, that's backed by a lot of communication and intentionality, it will improve your relationship and deepen your connection. And this is a very simplified overview of that, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of exploring fantasy with intention and communication for sure. Mm, I, that's, that's amazing, man. And to speak from my personal experience, I never had that communication at all until I met my wife. Mm. And, you know, so however many sexual relationships I had before her, I never had that level of communication. It mm. was always more of a physical, instinctual communication, uh, maybe a little bit of, of dialogue, but outside of the bedroom, mm-hmm. even never saying, Hey, let's, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about how we like it. Uh, let me share with you some of the fears or insecurities I have about right. sex. That was, that was a huge thing that before we ever slept together, I was sharing some of my insecurities for the first time with a friend of mine, actually the friend I was telling you about who, <laughs> who lives in Asheville now. <laughs> and I was, and we were just sharing back and forth about some of our own. And he encouraged me to share that with my wife before we we're intimate. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, that's just, that's fucking edgy, dude. I don't know. That's, <laughs> he's like, but yeah, but what, what's, what's the worst that could happen? I'm like, okay, good point. Mm-hmm. And I did that and it did exactly what you said. It In my mind, I thought, oh, this is going to push her away. She's going to think I'm weird. She's mm-hmm. not going to be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it made her lean in and made her more interested and also was able to help me be with the insecurity I had and really bring some healing to it. So 
it's huge. I can only mm. speak to my experience of it, but I think it's a good a good way to leverage the conversation towards how you said this can sexuality impacts all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously looking at it with our intimate partners is maybe the first place, but can you speak about how it impacts our lives outside of just the bedroom? I can, but I do want to take a, a step back. I forget which podcast in your podcast you mentioned this earlier, but you were talking about how one of the greatest things that we as men can experience is is going after something that we want and leaning into the edginess around that and then actually succeeding and having that experience and the reward that comes from that can mm. be huge. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like emphasize that in my own personal experience, sometimes it's been really edgy to ask for things or to express desires to my partners or sexual partners. And the times when I've asked for the really edgy thing and they've said yes, and we've gone through with it, man, that has felt fucking awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's so empowering. And it's like, yes, it's sexually fun and all that stuff, but the action of of leaning into that discomfort and asking and not being sure what their response is going to be and getting a yes and doing that and mm-hmm. having everybody feel good, like that affects how I walk in the world. You know, that can affect how you walk in the world if you go through that. Like if you do something like that, the next day you're going to be standing taller, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you went back and referenced that. I think that was something I, I was speaking about in regards to pornography and how yes. it's created mm-hmm. this voyeuristic relationship that we have. We, we have intimacy with people from a distance. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, man, I, that, we're, robbing our, we, we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity to go up to a pretty girl mm-hmm. and ask her out or tell her how beautiful she is and have that win of, you know, that, that's something other than her shooting you down, the fears of rejection we have in our mind. Right. Can I share a little story around that? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so this is something that happened to me really recently, uh, a few weeks ago. It's the culmination of something. So earlier this year, I went through six months of basic celibacy. At the beginning of this year, I went through a horrible breakup, just rough, really, really rough, and had some sexual interactions after that, but then went through a period of of needing to come back to myself and evaluate my codependent patterns and all this stuff. So about a month ago, I started dating again, and I've been dating these two women, and I'm into both of them a lot. And a fantasy that I've had that I've been able to experience a few times, but it's always been weird for some reason is a threesome. And I've actually had about maybe 20 threesome type experiences. And I'd say like Mm -hmm. 15 or 16 of those were horrible. (laughs) Mm. Absolutely. Just like no good. There was no communication. It just happened. Some of those, there was alcohol involved when I was younger. And it's just like the possibility for chaos and that sort of scenario is huge, you know, but with this one, I really like these two people. And it occurred to me one night, like, hey, I would love to experience this fantasy. Like, I would love to experience this with two people who are, you know, not only we think each other are hot, but there's an actual heart connection there too. And I had all this fear come up like, oh man, but what if I propose this and then either one of them doesn't want to interact with me anymore or they think I'm weird, right? They think I'm that dude, you know, they think I'm like the overly bro dude who just wants to fuck multiple women. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, you know, that's a fear too. So long story short, I, I presented it to both of them the same evening and what ended up happening was the two of them went out for a drink without me and they had never actually met each other first uh, before that. Mm. Did they know about each other? They before did, that? absolutely. Yeah. So okay. there was completely yeah. upfront communication. I was totally upfront with both of them about my life, you know, at this point. So they knew about each other and they went out for a drink. And the deal was they could call me after their drink or they could not. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Hmm. So a couple hours later, they called me and they said, Hey, we're really enjoying each other and we'd like to connect with you. And so fast forward a bunch more. Anyway, we had <laughs> we had one of the most beautifully connective, the most beautifully connective threesome experience I've ever had with anybody. And it was very vulnerable, very authentic, very like raw and sexy and pleasurable. And mm. also just very connective. We started off the threesome by having a conversation with the three of us in my room about about our fears and desires and boundaries, you know, like what are your mm. fears for going into this experience? What are your desires and what is a no-go area for you? And mm. sharing that and getting to that level of vulnerability allowed us to go into that uh, experience, which was like every fantasy I've ever had since I was 14, you know, and super sexy and super fun. And one of the more beautiful things about that was just being in connection with these people and having all of us feel safe and held the whole Mm. time. And I think that's something that often gets overlooked in this conquest of the sexiness, you know, or the pursuit of the sexiness. It's like, there's so much more depth to be had if your heart is in it and if everybody's heart is in it. 
Mm-hmm. And going through that experience and stepping through that discomfort and even the shame of asking for that and then having that happen, it like changed me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you shared that story because what I'm listening for in there is just you, you took a stand for something that you really wanted and mm-hmm. applying that to everywhere else in our lives. How, how, how often do we bypass an opportunity to ask for something that we want, right? Whether it's in a sexual encounter or a relationship or in business, anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. you know, being able to ask for what we want, regardless of what the outcome is, right. just, just to be able to take that first step. Cause mm-hmm. you may ask for the threesome and it might not happen. Absolutely. You know, well, that was the story Maybe of my made... life for years before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what was the difference here that if you said that's been the story of your life for years, mm-hmm. what, what, how did you approach it differently that you think might be helpful for someone else to hear? So I approached it without attachment in prior scenarios. It had always been in a long-term relationship with my long-term partner. And there was some sort of, I had this attachment to them being the person who would go through that experience with me. And so in my last relationship, I went through a few different threesome experiences with her and another guy. And then I always always had this thought like, okay, well, if I did that, then you should do this for me. And it was a sort of tit for tat sort of a thing. And mm-hmm. I think really approaching it with, with complete acceptance that I would probably get a no, <laughs> you know, or mm-hmm. I might get a no and just like letting go of attachments to that. Like, oh, okay, cool. I will never know if this would happen if I don't ask for it. So I'm just going to say, fuck it and try it and really be unattached. And I think also just the intentionality of that conversation up front made it so much better because I've been in threesome scenarios before where somebody gets triggered five minutes in and they don't talk about it. And then like 10 minutes later, it comes up and there's like an explosion or start crying. And then you can't really save a scenario after that. You have to just shift what you're doing and hold space or stop or somebody leaves, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of playing with fire, but it can be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice metaphor, man. It really is like playing with fire because it is such a sensitive topic and sexuality in both directions is a vulnerable thing. I mean, we're literally talking about the act that creates life. Right. Obviously, it's there's a lot of different contexts for sex, but we're talking about probably one of the, mo- the most vulnerable thing that we can do as humans and the degree of hiding we've done mm. around our truth. I think I, if I blow this out a little bit, I'm thinking about Me Too. Mm. Right? I mean, how many women have we heard of out there who have s- stories mm-hmm. of feeling unsafe in in one encounter or another? Yeah. And I, I know it's, uh, maybe we can shift to that for a second because I think that's such a really powerful topic Please. too, is safety in in sexual relationships sexual encounters is so important and it's not just for women mm-hmm. obviously it's important for women but there's there's still a safety component for men as well and obviously we're talking about mostly about heterosexual encounters but for everybody regardless of the type of sex who you're having sex with if you're having sex with yourself your ability to talk about it there has to be a level of safety around this mm-hmm. because we've seen what the consequences are it mm-hmm. creates a lot of these unhealthy sexual practices beliefs and behaviors yeah sexual safety is super important and Generally speaking, if we're talking about heterosexual relationships or if we're talking about dynamics with men and women, women, generally speaking, like if they're feeling unsafe, there's a different layer of of safety at play than if a man feels unsafe. Generally speaking, you know, generally speaking, like a woman might fear physical harm coming to her or being assaulted or being hit in some way or Mm -hmm. not being able to say her no because of a fear of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. There's like a different level there. And, but for mm-hmm. men, there's also a really important piece about safety too, and that's heart safety and emotional safety and vulnerability. And as much as so many guys uh, want to want to just think that like, oh, we can just fuck and you know, our emotions don't get evolved, like that's bullshit, you know? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe you can have a bunch of one-night stands, but eventually you're going to yearn for something more. You're going to yearn for something deeper. And when you really start to open yourself to that place like that's you're you're opening your heart and when you open your heart you're opening the possibility of getting hurt and that's just Mm. like part of the game part of the experience i don't want to like gamify it but you know what i mean yeah i totally know what you mean man i think that what what i'm hearing again is going back to that level of of communication and also a level of responsibility Mm -hmm. for ourselves and our actions first and then extending that responsibility out to to other people too you know having an awareness around because i still think that it's hard for people to say no yeah to, to really speak their truth and there is 
if, if we're being honest with ourselves, you can tell when something doesn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. Cause you also know when something is like really feels right and aligned. Yeah. So I think just for all of us, it's always, well, what can I do? It's only, I'm only really in control of myself. Being able to tune up our awareness and listen for those signs or indications that may, that may say, hey, something here doesn't quite feel right. And, and t- taking a pause, you know, totally. <laughs> you don't always have to jump right, jump into bed in that <laughs> moment when you feel it. It's like, well, let's pa- slow down for a second. Yeah, What's going on here? It's okay to press pause. And a lot of, yeah, I would say all genders struggle with saying no. I still struggle with that sometimes. It's a constant work in progress, you know? And I think we as men, we get socialized with the unhealthy idea that we should always be ready for sex. We should always be ready to go at any moment because that's like our sexual duty or whatever, you know? Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. there are plenty of times when that's not the case, but because of that belief or because of that societal programming, like it's hard for people to say no and we might just go through it anyway and mm-hmm. not feel great about it. And that, that shit happens, you know? So I want to encourage mm-hmm. people to, to, yeah, like you said, like tune in. If you're really not feeling into something, like take a stand for what you believe in and, and don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And y- you dropped a term when we were going back and forth before this conversation that really caught my attention mm. uh, sexual leadership. Mm. I don't know if this is a good pivot point for you to talk about what that means, but mm. I'm curious what you mean when you mm. say sexual leadership. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> sexual leadership. So I'll tie it back into the threesome story at first and then dovetail into just one-on-one interactions. So mm. when the three of us came into my room, I noticed that we were sort of milling about doing that small talk sort of thing, not really sure what to do that, you know, this is the dynamic that a lot of threesome scenarios get into. And internally I thought, okay, this is the moment where something needs to happen. Somebody needs to take a leadership role and create a structure for us to have an introduction to this experience or whatever it's going to turn into, you know? So Mm -hmm. I felt that, that spark in me and I said, Hey, I'd love to sit down with you two and have a conversation and check in about what our fears and desires and boundaries are. And in that moment, that was a moment of, of leadership and not so much like control. Like there's a distinction I want to make between, between offering up something in a leadership way and controlling the scenario. But because of that action step, like that allowed for a blossoming of connection between all of us. And in, in long-term relationships, sexual leadership is something that any gender can do. But my experience with it has been stepping into that place of discomfort and asking for the thing that I want or saying, no, I don't want that thing. Or even going so far as to create an experience for my partner, you know, ask their permission to see what they're into beforehand, but then like create and craft an experience for them. Like maybe blindfold them before they walk into a room and guide them through this sensual experience of exploration and play. And then, you know, maybe taking the blindfold off later, maybe not, but just the, the polarity that can come from that is really magical. And in contrast, I'd say sexual following could be the contrast to that. It's almost like being proactive versus reactive. You know, do you go after what you want or do you just flow with whatever happens to show up in any given moment? And generally speaking, as men in in heterosexual relationships, there is often a desire, this is not black and white, but there's often a desire from a female partner to be led, um, to be guided, to be held in a safe way. And if you can hold that space for them, it just opens up the the sexual connection for so much beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So, so what would you say are the most important qualities or commitments to have to show up in that type of way that you just described? A lot of it has to do with your state, first of all, like your state in any given moment. So sexual leadership comes from a, a lifestyle in many ways. Like we have this illusion that our sexuality just sort of lives down in our penis and it's not integrated with the rest of our body, but that's, <laughs> that's an illusion, you know, like we are fully sexual beings. So how do you wake up in the morning? What do you do when you first wake up? Do you, do you get on your phone and do you start scrolling or do you do some sort of morning practice or do you go on a run or do you drink water? You know, like, do you work out regularly? Do you stay up late and watch Netflix or do you ensure that you get a good night's sleep? And so if you're constantly in a good state in any given moment, then you're able to show up in a date with your lover or with your partner. And if you're showing up in a good state, then you're going to be more likely to be vulnerable and you're going to be more likely to be able to ask for the things that you want and to guide through experiences and also receive because you can lead into an experience then when you just lay back and let your partner give to you. So I would say, number one, 
treat your entire body and your entire life as as sexual in the in the sense that everything impacts your sex life every little decision you do impacts your sex life and number two lean into the edge of asking for what you want and number three there's this piece of holding space and that's a really important thing i think i heard you talk about it on an earlier podcast but the ability to just be present for whatever comes up in any given moment versus having an attachment to a desired outcome is huge and that could be a that could be a whole podcast discussion just on that topic alone Man, it's definitely a challenging one for me, Mm -hmm. especially, uh, you know, very transparently in in relationship with my wife, where we have two young children, you Mm -hmm. know, a four-year-old and a six-month-old, so a baby, uh, you know, sexual encounters are a premium <laughs> you yeah. know, to be able to come by those moments and those opportunities. So most of our attempts are thwarted by one child's need or another. Mm-hmm. And I'm always faced with that moment of, okay, let me let go of this. Let me release it. I don't want to resent my children for getting in the way. I don't want to resent my wife for being too tired. I don't want to resent anything outside of me and just just accept that this is my reality right now. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot of different ways that men can experience that, but I know especially for for fathers out there with with young kids, that, that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, I also appreciate that you did so much research on what we've already talked about on the podcast <laughs> around this beforehand. I, I do, I really, I mean that, I appreciate yeah. that a lot. So I wanna ask you before we start to tie things up here, mm-hmm. is there anything else that has not been said about this topic that you feel is really important to squeeze in before we putting into it here. Thank you. And thanks for this podcast. I mean, I, I love listening to your podcast. <laughs> and it's, a, <laughs> it's an honor to be here contributing to it. So that, yeah, that feels really good. Awesome. One major piece that I want to add here at the end is this piece around premature ejaculation. This is something that I struggled with a lot when I was younger. And a lot of guys struggle with this. And it can be a huge barrier to intimacy. If you're constantly worried that you're going to ejaculate too soon when you're having sex, and that's going to take you out of the moment, that's going to take you out of those connective experiences and put you more in your head. And if you're able to move beyond that threshold of, of premature ejaculation, then that opens up the door for so much incredible lovemaking. And those, those tantric realms that were talked about earlier on your podcast, where you can have multiple orgasms <laughs> without ejaculating, and you can go to those higher states of pleasure that are just like, mind-blowing and heart-blowing. So that's a huge piece that's close to my heart. I created a course that's called Orgasmic Mastery, and it just finished. There were about 60 guys that went through it, and it was the first time I ever did it, and it was awesome. And it was all about overcoming premature ejaculation and being able to harness and use your sexual energy for more than just sex, like being able to divert it. So instead of watching porn, like how do you change that impulse and integrate that energy into your life and then go put it out into your business, you know? And then also, how do you have those multiple orgasms without ejaculation? And that's something that's really near and dear to my heart because it's something that prevented me from those deeper realms of intimacy, prevented me from getting to those deeper realms of intimacy for a long time until I figured out how to overcome it. So it feels really good to be to have created something that's actually getting results for guys in that department. Like that feels fucking awesome to me. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And we're definitely going to put up a link for that program in the show notes. And, and whenever you, maybe you can tell us at the end when it's, when the next one's coming up, yeah. I, I got to say, I got to say, man, it, it's part of my, you know, boyhood locker, locker room humor, but mm-hmm. talking about sex, it's like the sexual puns just scream at me. <laughs> and, I, and I heard you, I heard you say, I got this course called orgasmic mastery and it just finished. <laughs> <laughs> so funny but i mean there's probably a million of them in this episode too when i go back and listen to it i'll have some good laughs but that's that's amazing dude i think that's also for me i mean how many i mean it's probably every dude to some degree Mm -hmm. has some insecurity about ejaculation and and whether it's too soon too much not enough Mm -hmm. can't do it when i want to etc it's a big topic so i appreciate you tackling that totally and And i want to share like one really interesting statistic that i got so i've I've been taking quantitative surveys throughout that course to see different people's progress and that's been awesome and really illuminating and i'm stoked to share those numbers eventually on my website but just to drop a couple right here the first one that that surprised me but i was really happy to see is i asked people in the very first day before starting the course it was a question of, do you feel clear about your life purpose? And it was one of those that was worded like, I feel clear about my life purpose, click strongly agree, agree, neither disagree or strongly disagree. And on day one, the the middle amount, like neither agree nor disagree, 50% of people 
chose that. And mm. that was that was surprising to me. And just two weeks, that number dropped down to 26%. And so to share the contrast for that, on the very first day, I feel clear about my life purpose. The people that chose agree was 15%. And just two weeks in, that number shot up to 42% of people. That was wow. mind-blowing. And it like it reinforced to me that, yeah, our sexuality is so much more than just you know, how we show up in the sexual experience, but it impacts our entire life. That mm. That's so cool for me to see that number. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what you put together as you analyze the research a little bit more because just confidence is confidence as a, as a very broad term, Mm -hmm. how much of how confident we feel about ourselves is related to being able to seduce and have sex with and romance a partner. Yeah. It's like, it's a huge part of our lives you know, that was like the story, the chapter of my teenage years was that, (laughs) it was how can I learn to do this better? So I, I'm not surprised by those. And it's, it's very interesting to see the connection you created there. Yeah, for sure. And I just, there's one other piece that I just wanted to hit on. I can, I can knock it out in three sentences. There's this concept of separating orgasm from ejaculation for people with penis, for guys. And I want to reword that because I don't find that to be entirely accurate. What I share and what I've seen from talking to hundreds of guys and studying Tantra and Taoist sexuality workshops around the world is that what you're actually doing is learning to have a new kind of orgasm that's different from the typical ejaculatory orgasm. And this new kind of orgasm can feel 10 times better and it can last for minutes. It can last for 30 minutes sometimes if you, you know, if you open yourself to that level. So I want to create that distinction because there's a lot of guys out there who are trying to have these, these orgasms without ejaculating and they keep ejaculating and <laughs> you get discouraged. And I just want to mm-hmm. say like, it's a different thing. It's like learning a new language and you can reprogram your entire sexual response system to get there, but it's, it's different. Mm. Awesome. Man. And this is part of what you cover in your course. It is. Yeah. And there's a, a free article about that on my website, but I think oh. there's so much out there on the internet about separating your orgasm from ejaculation. And that's something I think needs to be clarified. Awesome, man. Well, I think you hit a very, a very strong pocket there. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys who are interested in that, myself included. Mm. So let's, before we get to that, you can drop all the links and details and stuff. Let me ask you a couple questions and then we'll, you can drop all the info. So lightning style. All right. What is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? (sighs) That it really doesn't matter what other people think about you. <laughs> you know, as much as I cared. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes up. Nice. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Mm. This is an evolving one for me, but what comes up for me is the willingness and the desire to step into discomfort in your life to be able to better serve the people around you, your community, and your and the world and yourself. Mm. Yeah, man. Powerful. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, it's been an awesome conversation. I I love learning and listening to what you have to say. It's been great to have you here. I'm sure that you've got the ears wide open right now. So speak to the men. Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you? Just drop it all right now so they can take note of it. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. This has been been awesome. I really am honored to be here. And my Mm. website is www.taylorjohnson.life. And you can find me on Instagram too, at Taylor Clark Johnson. I also have a YouTube channel. And those are the best ways to get in touch with me. And the next Orgasmic Mastery course is going to happen probably in late December of this year or early January. I haven't nailed down a date yet, but it's coming. And if you're on my email list, you'll get updates about that. But that's, yeah, that's what I got got for now. Awesome, man. Well, the the respect and the honor is is mutual, man. Mm. I really appreciated having this conversation. Thank you for being a leader in this charge because it's an often underspoken part of men's evolution, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to have another another brother, another ally out there on the battlefield to, to carry this banner because it's, it's, <laughs> it's still one that's difficult for me, man. I get to be a student and, and sit in your class for this too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's important. I just want to encourage all of y'all out there listening to talk about it, lean into it, explore it, don't push it down. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time to sit here and listen to this and consider all this stuff. Yeah. It means a lot. So thank you, Jetty, for having me. Thank you brothers for listening and sisters for listening. (laughs) Hope y'all have a beautiful day. If I had a DJ for the podcast, this is where we would cue the music nice. going like, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. <laughs> like our closing music. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Maybe you should do it. <laughs> yeah, in the future, in the future. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you, man. Keep doing the good work out there. 
To me, this is one of the most powerful conversations we can be having right now because there is so much discrepancy and disparity in the way we approach our sex lives and our sexuality. Even though we live in a modern society, it's still such a taboo topic. Nobody wants to talk about sex, especially men. It's kind of weird to go and just start talking about sex with a bunch of guys, isn't it? Still kind of feels weird to me. However, if we're not able to talk about that with each other, then where can we really go and talk about it? Take off our masks, be vulnerable, share the inner workings of our mind and what we're challenged by, what we're going through. So if you're looking for a space where you can share these conversations, these topics, these insecurities and fears more openly without judgment, then sign up for our Rising Man Fire Circles. Go over to patreon.com slash rising man. Listen, prices are going up on November 15th, so act now to get in at our $33 a month price point. If you get in now, you can have that for life. All right, so jump in now. If you're on the fence, just do it. As always, check out our show notes for links and resources that pertain to this episode, including some of the resources Taylor mentioned. You can see those by going to therisingmanpodcast.com. My man Julian Subic, always taking care of that for y'all. And subscribe and follow us while you're at it on the podcast app, wherever you're listening to us, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those, just click the like button, click the heart, whatever they allow you to do. If you can leave a rating or a review, please give us those five stars if you think the Rising Man podcast deserves it, but definitely leave us a comment and let us know what you think, what you've gotten from the show so far, your biggest takeaways, your biggest insights, how the Rising Man message has impacted you. And if you don't listen to us on any of those apps, you can always do that at therisingmanpodcast.com also. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. My man Rowan Time putting up those incredible images for you guys every week. If you guys notice, we're in the middle of a rebrand, so we're we're launching the Rising Man logo and a bunch of other exciting new ways of expressing the Rising Man. So uh, make sure you guys go check that out and share it up. Shoutouts to the rest of my power team, Sean Offenbach, taking care of these episodes every week, making them sound super pro. And Mark Rose, our head fire chief inside the Rising Man Fire Circles, got the best squad here. I say that each and every week but I really do. I mean it. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.